Queensland with kettlebells is a friendly gym in East Brisbane practicing strength for life. Find out a little bit about what makes Alex Sulkin of uh, Omaha tick, why he does what he does, and hang on. I don't know what that was meant to say. We've lost, we've lost part of the introduction. That's okay. I think this actually makes a much more interesting introduction. It kind of like breaks up what people's expectations are. Sure. So we are going to forge ahead, apparently, um, and I'll Good. do better next time. Um, so, Alex, tell us a bit about yourself, uh, what you do during the week, and maybe what a normal day will look like for you. So, um, I what do I do during the week? Mm. That's a whole, a whole long week. Uh, I have an online fitness business that I've been working at for quite some time. Um, prior to that, I worked... I, I, I still work uh, with students, but they're primarily all online now. So mm. uh, from basically 2011 up until I would say midway through uh, 2019, mm. uh, I did a lot of face-to-face uh, -face work with people. And I still really like doing it. But because I moved to Omaha, Nebraska, or more to the point, I moved back to Omaha, Nebraska uh, in July of 2019, mm. uh, mostly made it a point to focus on the online business. So uh, I spend a lot of time coming up with new content, um, you know, finding out what people's troubles are, what things are that they need um, or that they would like to get solved because everyone has got some sort of an issue. Sure. And, uh, and, you know, better being able to serve the people who look to me to provide fitness solutions is a very large part of that. So I have a, an email list I write to daily, a um, variety of different programs, challenges, courses, uh, tutorials, things like that. Um, and most of them you can only really get your hands on if you're on the list. So I, like on my website, for example, I don't put up any, any programs for sale or anything like that. Sure. Um, but in a nutshell, that is, that is it. And one of the things I'm getting back into now is traveling to teach. That's mm. something that I did quite a bit in the past. And over the last couple of years, I, I have not done it as much. Uh, but that's one of my favorite things is to go to new places and, uh, you know, give people a crash course in something that, uh, that I know is going to help them a lot. And, and in a case of what we've got coming up, uh, calisthenics in particular. Yeah. And do people actually pay to hear you speak, Alex? Some people will even fly you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, pay, they pay for me to help solve their problems. I could mime the whole thing, and I'm sure that they would still, <laughs> they would still show up. That, you know, I have a, a friend of mine actually said that that's his ultimate coaching goal is um, Josh Halbert. I don't know if you remember him or not. Um, he goes by Get Chimpy on Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember him. Okay, yeah, yeah. He told me once, he's like, that's my goal is I just want to mime to people, you know, like they'll do mm. something and I'll be like, and I'm, people who are listening or not watching it are not going <laughs> to see the gesticulations, but not like that. And then he would do like a little movement with his hand to kind of like, you know, like maybe point at their hips and then kind of like nudge, like move back a little bit more for the, um, yeah, as long as you can solve the problems, I think the, mm. uh, that's the most important thing. Uh, uh, speaking is a, a bonus. Yeah. And for, for you guys who are listening, Alex's hands are waving all over the place um, as he tries to explain miming to, to get someone to, to learn something. So, which is, That's an which odd is, thing. It's not effective as an audio strategy. 
Um, no, it's not. It's not. That's why I, I, I acknowledge the, the ineffectiveness. And actually, think about it. Like, how do you describe miming anyway? Like the whole point of miming is that you don't say anything. So that's sort of like a there's a philosophical question in there somewhere, but we'll leave that for a different episode. Um, and and what inspired you to begin doing what you're currently doing? So how how'd you go oh. from, you know, well look, tell us your story because it's obviously a bit different. How, start yeah, in is, Omaha and and head head west. It'll be heading east, actually. In this case, I'll uh, I'll explain what I mean momentarily. So um, I grew up kind of scrawny and unathletic and weak, um, and uh, you know, I uh, back then there just wasn't the kind of information that we have available now in terms of like something that bridges the gap between um, people who are really hardcore into fitness and people who just want to get more fit. So you know, it was not hard to find let's say bodybuilding magazines where, um, I mean, even now, obviously it's still very easy to, to do that. But when I was in, in high school and that sort of a thing, if you wanted to get fit, that was kind of what, where you went to. Like the internet was, was kind of still, uh, in the developing stages of becoming this place where fitness experts resided. Yeah. yeah. Skeevy, like skeevy forums, skeevy forums where it's, uh, it's all yellow or whatever. And yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, I was never, I was never really picked last in gym class, but like close to last. I never, um, never ran a mile in more than like seven and a half minutes. Um, was not really good at anything except for badminton. There was only one sport that I had a preternatural uh, skill for, and that was badminton. And had I known, there's a 17 year old, or no, I guess it would have been 16 year old. It was like junior year I discovered this. Mm. That that was actually an Olympic sport, and that perhaps yep. if I had put like some some real effort into it, I you could be speaking to an Olympian right now, uh, or at least to his publicist. I probably would have turned you down. But uh, <laughs> oh, uh, I see how it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kidding aside. Uh, yeah, I could like I could smash people in in badminton. Mm. I was like two at a time. Like I could take people on, and um, so anyway, that was really the only thing I, I was ever very good at. I think a lot of times. You're from uh, personal trainers who were like very fit when they were mm. when they were younger, where they kind of grew up around sports and competition, and then they just decided to turn their passion into a into a career. Mm. But for me, um, I didn't really get into physical activity and physical fitness until it was probably about two. Th- I mean, I, I would do things off and on, you know, like mm. I, I always wanted to, but nothing really ever reached out and grabbed me. Mm. And uh, it wasn't until about 2006 I watched mm. a movie with a friend of mine called Ong Bak, the Thai mm. warrior, and yeah. it was all about this guy. Tony Ja is the actor, and he was doing this this uh, martial art called Muay Thai, mm. and I was I had never heard of it before, and uh, just watching the stuff that he did, it was incredible. I mean, to me, this guy was like the new Bruce Lee, mm. just you know, just amazing. And he and my friend and I were like just spellbound. Mm. And he's like, we got to see if there's like a Muay Thai place in Omaha. Well, sure enough, there there is. And uh, it's not just any Muay Thai place. This place is run by a guy named Mick Doyle, who is, as his name might have hinted, from Ireland. <laughs> and uh, the Irish are already some bad mofos, you know. Mm. So uh, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that's a good, that's a promising sign. Um, and he was a two-time world kickboxing champion. Right. Um, and American so, kickboxing like, or, or Muay Thai? 
I think it was American, but he studied, mm. if I'm not mistaken, he studied under Master Toddy in London. Sure. Master Toddy is, has made like 50 champions in Muay Thai mm. and kickboxing. Yeah. So he's like the real deal. Mm. But um, so I thought, well, this must be like a chain of, <laughs> I don't know, of, of like Muay Thai gyms because there's no way a guy this awesome lives in Omaha. Like, if you yeah. know anything about Omaha, almost like Perth. I would say. Sure. <laughs> Actually, I, I'm sure there's some people from Perth who are listening. We're like, "What's wrong with Perth?" Um, some... And uh, and Pierce and I have a, a friend and colleague who lives there, Francis Moylan. So, Francis, if you're listening to this, I'm just kidding. I promise it was just a joke. Um, and, and I say that because she could definitely wail on both of us. So we don't want to. <laughs> At the same oh, yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like <laughs> without breaking a sweat. Um, but no, I mean Omaha is not like. Uh, it's not like New York and it's not like LA where it's like you would expect, you know, some like some high um, uh, people of uh, of a high reputation to mm. live here. But we both showed up to do a tour of the gym and the dude was sitting behind the desk. I was like, I was a little bit spellbound. I was like, oh, my God, it's it's Nick Doyle. And he showed us around and we were like, yeah, where do we sign up? So he's like, well, you get a class for free so you can come check it out, see if it's what you really want to do. I was like, I'm surprised I didn't puke. It was so t- I was just not in a great shape at that time. Sure. And uh, so we were like, yeah, we, we got to do this. So we signed up. Um, I did that for probably about a year or so. And then I started doing Krav Maga. Mm. And then a friend of mine um, in my university level Spanish classes, mm. he was, we would meet up about 15 minutes before class would start, kind of like sit around with a group of friends. And he was a guy that I had known from middle school and high school. His name is Drew Christensen. Mm. And, uh, and I didn't like him in middle school and high school. Like We just yeah. did not get along. ran with different people. Um, but we, we kind of bonded in, in, in university. And he was always talking about these things called kettlebells mm. and this, this bad dude named Pavel. Mm. And, uh, and I remember thinking, that's interesting. And I had read about kettlebells from a, a kind of an oblique reference in a book by a, that's purporting to be about Bruce Lee's training methodologies called The Art of Expressing the Human Body. Mm. It's just one line, like on the back training section, I think, on how uh, Bruce Lee would do um, kettlebell mm. things. And basically what it was is at the time you could buy a, like a suitcase handle add-on to a dumbbell. Mm. So you could do swings and other kind of ballistic type of movements. And... Um, so anyway, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he showed me a picture that looked nothing like what I, ex- I had expected based on, on what I had read. But it made sense, you know, mm. just based on, on what I had read. So anyway, one day, and probably it was like late March or early April of 2008, he was like, uh, hey, do you want to come over? And he called me up. He's like, hey, do you want to come over and try out a kettlebell workout? Mm. And prior to this, I had no interest in kettlebells whatsoever. But for whatever reason, I said yes. And I went over, and he showed me Turkish getup, swing, clean a um, couple of other things he demonstrated the snatch i didn't even attempt it and it yep. found it felt like i had found the missing piece uh that i basically what i had been looking for because prior to this i was doing some bodybuilding type of stuff that my friend sure. trevor was showing me trevor was the guy i did uh, muay thai with mm-hmm. and um so i and i thought okay this is what you're supposed to do but it didn't right it didn't quite feel i don't know i didn't really connect with it but i did mm. it like you know just it showed up, did the workouts, whatever. Nothing for the legs, by the way, because sure. I thought, well, I'm kicking enough in Muay Thai. Yeah. I don't want my legs to be tired. You know, I want to kick fast. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I remember we had awful form. I can promise you that. Um, it was not good. 
I wish I had a video. Like I would kill for a video from back then because I, I would just love to see like how bad it was. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was awful. So but I loved it. It was like it felt like this is what working out should be. Like there was something about it that I just I loved. So mm. uh, he did like uh, he did a, a a salad for me that's like just a level underneath taking a bullet for somebody. In that he loaned me Pavel's landmark book, Enter the Kettlebell. His landmark calisthenics book, The Naked Warrior, mm. and he loaned me a 25-pound kettlebell, or about a 12-kilogram kettlebell. Mm. And uh, I never returned the books to him. I ended <laughs> up buying him new ones. I was like, "Look, I've thumbed through these so much. Like, you just—I'm going to get you some nice new ones." Um, he did get his kettlebell back, uh, but that's where it, where it really began. And it—it it was like, you know, I—I fi- finally felt like I could find something that bridged the gap between the <clears throat> kind of like. You know, the the awkward, goofy, sort of not coordinated person who mm. wasn't like a gym rat to somebody who could train at home but have it be effective. Because I had done training at home prior to that and they really never – I mean I'd also tried going to the gym really early in the morning. And I was like, you know, the, the at-home workouts made more sense to me because um, yeah. I don't feel like I need to work out with people. I like to just people to walk over and do my thing. Sure. Gym yeah. workouts obviously had more, more equipment but um, – not really what I was looking for in terms of the, the training. So the kettlebells and bodyweight ended up becoming something that I bonded with very, very quickly. It helped me with my martial arts practice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it helped me become slightly, not a lot, but slightly less goofy uh, and sure. definitely a lot less weak. Yeah, physically at least. Correct, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I had what? other hurdles, you know, with the whole, <laughs> you know, mental, whatever. Yeah, so I crack that joke, but there is something about training that does sharpen your mind as well. Like it's it's... It's um, it's physically and and mentally that sort of deliberate pr- regular practice does good things, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I definitely noticed that. I, I think the other thing, is, and people make the mistake of saying, I remember that actually well, a, a powerlifter friend of mine said this, but but basically, mm-hmm. I was going to say people um, make the mistake of saying that uh, that training is you know it makes you confident. And I think it, it like it makes a big dent in improving your confidence, but uh, but there is a mental component to it that really helps you to kickstart the mm. process that it takes to get stronger. Like physically is the obvious one. Mentally mm. is uh, is the next one because yeah. doing a workout when you don't feel like it or when you're tired or when you're maybe still sore or whatever, like it, like when you when you do it and you realize, wow, that wasn't as bad as I thought, you know, mm. and. Uh, and you you start to see like you're not you're competent because you're you're confident because you're competent mm. and you're capable and so yep. it's like your your actions your physical actions have a huge impact on how you see yourself and you know and how you interact with others too yeah absolutely um so <sighs> blank i'm back all right so <laughs> what what is the number one thing that you do uh on a regular basis that help you feel helps to make your life awesome? Well, I would say uh, having a morning routine is uh, like of the utmost importance. Mm-hmm. I think that if you roll out of bed, because this is what it used to be like for me, um, we know we just talked about uh, the mental aspect of training and how it helps to strengthen your mind. You know, yeah. part of it is it's true. Like, you know, if anybody who's done the original strength resets long enough can tell you that if they think more clearly, more sharply, Mm. reaction speed improves and that's all you know 
physically oriented, meaning your your uh, physical activity is what helps improve that mental acuity. Sure. Um, but it's okay. Did he make that lift in the background? <laughs> uh, that, just for anyone who's um, who's listening at home, Nick is currently destroying the gym and having a bit of a tantrum. I don't know if you can hear okay. him yelling and raging in the background, but um, I'm sorry about that. All right. Yeah, I wasn't sure if maybe he was getting pinned on the bench press and you were just <laughs> like continuing your conversation with me. <laughs> like, well, I don't want to be rude, right? <laughs> right, exactly. He'll figure it out. Um, so, yeah, at any rate, um, but at some point or another, you know, like the physical the physical part of it kicks things off, like, like improving your mental acuity. But uh, having, but then getting to the point where you're planning and programming your 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 day, your mm-hmm. that's really important. And so for me, rolling out of bed and just kind of reacting to whatever the day throws at me just doesn't help me do anything. Sure. So having a solid morning routine has really set me up for success, and it's it's changed uh, over the last few years, like bit by bit. But um, what I do now is I wake up, usually listen to a bit of a, a podcast in. Mm-hmm something that is relevant to my, my field. <clears throat> and, um, and, uh, I'll do some deep breathing for about five mm-hmm. minutes and then I work on visualization and, and yep. in particular, I visualize my past successes, like things that I've done that I'm proud of. It doesn't have to be anything huge either. Like, uh, for example, one of the, one of the ones that I think about is how in second grade I got a perfect attendance award yes. and, uh, and you know, you think about it, you're like, okay, that's that's cool, but it's also like that's something that took me a whole year to do, mm. you know. So, uh, uh, and then I think about other things, you know, in terms of my career, uh, my personal relationships, my uh, all sorts of different things, mm. uh, thing like moments that I'm proud of. I'll, I'll I'll think through those things, and one of the things that helps me to remember is that with a lot less life experience than I have now, and often a lot fewer uh, abilities or less well-developed abilities, sure. I was able to accomplish some pretty cool stuff. Mm. So whatever lays in front of me for the day, I, I can definitely handle it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just circling back to that attendance award, it's, it's something that you don't think about as being, um, as being particularly admirable at the time. But if you show yeah. up for the appointments you make with yourself later in life, if you're the person who just does the things that they, they plan to do, you end up kicking some pretty pretty big goals, right? Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, that's the thing is a lot of people think that all these big goals that they have set for themselves is going to be big action all the time. Mm. And the reality is it's just little actions done done like daily. Mm. Um, you know, one of my big goals for people that I train is to... Like get them down to like there's like almost a zero emotion level mm. of the stuff they do. It's just something like like I had a uh, a class of, of ladies that because I was traveling a lot in 2015, mm. they were like you know we don't like there'd be like whole weeks like a couple of weeks ago by we won't have a class with you and like we you know we really yep. need you and so I set up a WhatsApp group and I said everybody owes me five minutes of movement every day. Mm. It could be just laying on the ground breathing, could yep. be doing some rocking, maybe some crawling. Maybe you go for a walk, you know, whatever it is, uh, some stretching, you know, it doesn't have to be anything that really is like, it's going to make you break a sweat or anything. But when you've done your five minutes, you can keep going if you want to, but you can also quit like five Mm -hmm. minutes is your commitment. Mm -hmm. You can, but you can keep going within a few weeks. I mean, they were all doing 10, 15, 20 minutes periodically. They would fall back. Like I could only get in five minutes today. 
But they were moving better. Yep. They were feeling better. I had a gal, Senya, who used to have to go to the chiropractor on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Didn't have to see a chiropractor. She didn't see the chiropractor for like three months. And her mm. chiro finally called her and was like, are you okay? Like, mm. I haven't heard from you. You know, you're like, she thought something had happened. You yeah, know? yeah. She's like, no, I just, I'm feeling great. And, uh, the, you know, of course you have to take big steps on top of that, but if it's not laid down in a foundation of really good habits, like that's really the thing that matters the most is those mm-hmm. little things done little and often over the long haul as Dan mm-hmm. John likes to say. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you could finger that quote. Cause I was trying to, trying to pull it up. I knew little as, as you talked little and often over the long haul was in my head. And, uh, and then there's also the Bruce Lee quote which is uh which is that consistent uh, like um to achieve Daily greatness decrease. um yeah consistency trumps intensity um yeah so <clears throat> we talked um we talked not too long ago and you talked about your five minutes you read a book mm-hmm. and um and they talked about five minutes of of uh, physical, mental, and spiritual development mm-hmm. on a given day, yeah. and so that's so w- that's kind of what you've followed there, where you've got your five minutes of of uh, of breathing, which is your physical uh, start. Your podcast is your mm-hmm. mental start, and your visualization mm-hmm. would be the spiritual aspect. Yeah, to a I degree. would say um, to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, the spiritual side for me is I read I read from the Bible every day too. Mm-hmm. So even if it's not like first thing in the morning, it's usually like right before I go to bed. Yeah. So like the more like we'll say the more obvious uh, spiritual side of it uh, is typically before I go to sleep. Sure. But but that's how I started off, because like I mentioned, you know, it's a little different now than it was at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, it was it actually wasn't a book. It was like an online program. And I don't remember the guy's name. I would give him a sure. shout out. He wouldn't know. He's not. You know, I don't know the guy socially, so he's probably not uh, not looking for shout outs. But we've um, got a pretty big following, it, though. I believe it. Like, and I appreciate both of the people who are listening to this, you know, like that's really, uh, uh, this is for you, mom. Yeah, exactly. So it was, um, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember the guy's name, but basically it was like body, mind and spirit was his, his thing to do for you. And it wasn't necessarily five minutes. I mean, I think he talked about his and his morning ritual was like an hour. I was sure. like, to me, that's overkill, you know, but, um, but this guy had a lot more money than I did. So maybe, maybe he was onto something. Sure. But the but that was the big thing for me. It was starting off with that and then adapting it as I went. Like mm-hmm. one thing I used to do is I would also write down in a gratitude journal yeah. um, things that I was grateful for that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it eventually became, you know, I realized I never really reviewed the journal. Sure. So I thought, well, maybe maybe writing it down doesn't matter all that much. Maybe if I just really think and, and visualize it, that will help. Mm-hmm. And then eventually the visualization became um, really the main focus. And I can, I mean, the days when I'm really on top of it, visualization wise, my mood is way better. My product, Mm -hmm. my productivity is way better. Um, and really, I mean, this is something that like athletes have done for, Mm. you know, since time immemorial, uh, business, uh, business people have done the same. So uh, regardless of what your goals are, like, uh, having a vision and then doing visualization is, uh, is super helpful. So this is kind of like, you know, we're not getting into the nitty gritty of how to do like one arm pushups or anything like that. But at the same time, this is a foundational stuff that will will go a long way in helping you out with that. Yeah, I'm I'm currently reading uh, reading the Search for Greatness, which is by Judd Biasiotto. Um, mm-hmm, yeah, 
and uh, and he he was a gentleman who competed in the 132 pounds, so 60 kilo weight class, and managed to total over 1,400 pounds um, across three three lifts, um, which is which is a lot. Um, so that means that that in three lifts, so his bench press, his squat, and his deadlift, um, he managed to shift over 10 times his body weight, um, closer to 11 than 10. Um, was what it ended up being yeah Um, but visualization and the power of the mind was such a huge part of his training especially for him when he didn't want to use drugs in a competition where it was just prolific so for him to compete and to do well without necessarily having the same level of chemical enhancement that other people were visualization was was huge Um, yeah and so I mean he actually that was that was his job for a long time was to to use uh, hypnosis and and visualization and some of that stuff um, with athletes. But it's you know I I in my own practice recently actually I was uh, was working on clean and press and my clean felt clunky, um, so I kind of stopped and then I kind of pretended in my mind or visualized in my mind standing off to the side watching myself doing the movement and by watching it in my mind I was able to figure out what I was doing wrong like it was and it was a simple fix it took me two minutes um but I'd been crud all night and that was that Mm -hmm. was uh the visualization um was able to improve both my physical and mental performance around the movement it's um it's it's, incredible serious right yeah it is uh it is hugely important Mm. Uh, so look, you've you've told us about your athletic background. Do you have specific goals, uh, either physically or, or um, mentally, at the moment? Personally, yeah, whatever. Actually, um, I have. Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, the The one that I'm working on right now is uh, to get more muscular, because sure. over the course of the last, I mean, basically since I've started lifting. It, you know, muscle building has just been kind of like a nice side effect to the stuff that I've done. I've never really focused on building it specifically. And uh, I've been spending more time thinking about like, you know, how, like what it takes to do it, you know, what you have to, what you have to do. Um, but I've also done all my own programming mm. just like for years. In fact, I remember in 2014, uh, I reached out to Jeff Newport to ask if he would uh, help me program my, my strong first level two. Because mm-hmm. I, had, I had agreed to uh, to do it, I decided now is the time. And he never mm. got back to me, <laughs> and it wasn't even right. personal. I think it, I think yeah. the request just got lost. Mm. Um, and so I was like, I'm on my own. Like I really, I have to do this. And I didn't have that much money at the time too, so I guess it was probably a silver lining. Mm. But uh, but I trained myself to pass the the level two. And uh, mm. Fabio even said, because this was in, in Italy, he mm. said I think you had the best jerk out of anybody at the start. Mm. So that was more practice here. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, being a jerk makes it just so much easier. <laughs> it's like, you know, good thing there are a few other, there aren't other names for different exercises that I would also, you know, have a lot of practice with. I feel like jerk is about, is just PG enough that we can, we can say it here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, so I, I realized I could do it and that, you know, taking a chance on like some ideas that I thought were rooted in something that made sense, but I maybe mm. didn't have previous experience with like that I, that it would work and then I could keep mm-hmm. doing it. So I've done yep. that for quite some time. 
Mm. Uh, but right now I've signed up for the uh, Amazing 12, which is a 12-week body transformation program uh, through Paul McElroy of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, he started it off in his gym, which I believe is called Centaur Strength. Maybe not the strength part, but Centaur in, in any case, mm. in uh, Dublin. Mm. And I remember years ago, I would watch the stuff that he was doing with people when he was just kind of he was uh, figuring things out for himself in the gym, uh, meeting with his students and what have you. Mm. And thinking, man, I would love to spend like three months in Ireland just doing that. Unfortunately, I no longer have to do that because he's turned it into like a into a system that mm. he certifies people in. And so I'm going through it with a uh, a good friend and colleague of mine, Scott Stevens, mm. who is the guy who taught me kettlebells originally. Like yep. apart from Drew, who showed me, you know, yep. his best, he did, you know, did what he could. Scott actually was, um, I went through the RKC in 2008, 2007 or 2008. Mm. Um, so he really knew his stuff and he was one of the only people in Omaha at the time yep. who did. So I'm, I'm going through the, the amazing 12. Today was the first day, kind of, it's like the first week you're just kind of going through and learning the movements and then you review mm. them and practice them. And then it really kicks off like next Monday. Sure. Um, but uh, but I'm very excited about it. Um, that's number one because getting more muscular is very helpful for getting stronger. Because mm-hmm. um, I have some other goals later on down the line that I that are going to require a greater amount of strength. Sure. And I just I know that being more muscular is going to help. So that's that's the number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, in terms of like uh, mental goals, or uh, I would say number one is would be to to doubt myself a lot less and sure. just have a, li- a bit more confidence in my abilities. And a lot of that's going to come down to visualization. And so for me, a visualization goal is to be able to better, uh, to be extremely clear on what I want my future goal to be mm-hmm. and then be able to visualize that. Like you don't need to visualize the path. You just need to visualize the, uh, the point B. Like you know, yep. you're at point A right now. You'll figure out your way to point B. But the clearer it looks, the mm. more you're going to see the, the obvious openings along the way. Meaning yep. like opportunities and, and what have you. So that's a, yeah, that's a big one for me. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The power of the subconscious, right? If, if, if you know where you're going, our brain is incredible at getting you there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, uh, yeah. So look, uh, the next question that I've got here is what was the last book you read and what was the best thing about it? So w- is there a book that you've read recently that you're super excited about or that, that there was something in it that you went, man, that's awesome. Yeah, there are a lot. Um, you know, I the way I read books is kind of weird because a lot of times I'll read like little bits and pieces out of mm. things, uh, you know. And so there's one that I have uh, – there are a couple of them. Um, but I would say the one that I have gotten the most out of or that was really – that's really been helpful. I haven't completely finished it yet, but um, I'm like halfway through the title. So uh, – <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, Magnetic Marketing by Dan Kennedy is, I think, a must-read for anybody. Yep. Um, Dan Kennedy, for anybody who doesn't know him, is uh, – I mean, it, by the way, this is for any field you're in. You don't even have to necessarily be a business owner. Mm. Um, even if you're an employee, I think that this would be a, a useful thing to help you out because learning how to sell yourself mm. is hugely important because people buy you first and then they buy whatever it is that you're, that you're offering. Yeah. Sure. But the stuff that the stuff that he talks about is genius because it's like tons of principles that apply to just about anybody. Um, but there was a lot of stuff in there that was that made a lot of sense. Like, you know, the um, if I had to pick out one thing in particular, I, I'll tell you one thing that I thought 
made the most sense to me. And I didn't end up acting on it just because I, there was a lot of other groundwork I would have had to have done. Mm. Um, but it would have been, I thought, you know, I have this expertise in helping people who are particularly older and who are mm. perhaps uh, more sedentary. Because I spent sure. about four and a half years living in Israel, uh, working mostly with people who were sedentary, in some cases for decades, you know, sure. really very little movement. Um, I thought, you know, I should, uh, I should advertise, you know, my ability to help people who are, you know, senior, senior citizens to stay active. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought, you know, people think it doesn't make any sense, for example, to, to advertise like in a newspaper anymore or in the yellow pages or like a phone book. Sure. But that would be perfect for people like that because they're still used to reading the newspaper and yeah, you know, yeah. getting the, the yellow pages. So I thought, you know, because everyone's like, oh, we're going to do Facebook ads. And but, well, that would probably be good for a certain age group. But if you're talking yeah. like 65 year olds, they're not going to be like, oh, I'm going to I'm just going to go on Facebook, argue with people for an hour. Oh, hey, what's that? There's a, an ad for something about senior city. It's just not going to happen. Like mm. so you need to know your audience and you need to know sure. where to reach them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people shy away from the term marketing but Mm. realistically like you're going to need it to some degree or another and uh doesn't have to be expensive doesn't have to be complicated but that i that was a big one because it kind of helped me think outside the box um Mm. in terms of how to reach the people who i can help the most um in terms of other books that i've read and gotten a lot out of um there was one that I read that I thought was very interesting. Unfortunately, odds are none of you are going to be able to read it because it's all in Hebrew. Sure. Um, my friend Ron Bario Shafat uh, in Israel wrote uh, a, a basic. It's a collection of letters that he wrote to his friends mm. uh, when he was he spent six months in the U.S. Um, ta- uh, basically doing like talks at uh, at schools. Mm. and uh, community centers and other things like that about about Israel and mm. uh, you know dispelling you know myths and, sure. and educating people and and it was very interesting reading mm. it um and uh, yeah the thing i got out of it that i thought was amazing is he it was all volunteer like he wasn't mm. being paid to do any of it and sure. in fact he even mentions early in the book when he landed in new york he he's a uh, uh a lawyer by trade mm. sure. and he's like a very good one Mm. And so when he got to, I think he landed in New York at JFK, and mm. they were like, so you know, what are you doing in, in the U.S. for the next six months? He's like, well, I'm volunteering uh, you know, to talk about my country and blah, blah, blah. And they thought, there's no way that a guy with a degree in law yeah, yeah. You know, from, from uh, notoriously difficult to graduate from Israeli schools, he's just going to come work you know, for free. Mm. Like, so they really thought he was there to like, work you know, under the table and mm. that he was you know, Cavity to search the system. I don't, he didn't mention that. I'll, I'll ask him. I'll, I'll let you know off air. I don't think they did. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so he was able to convince them, and they're like, all right, you can go. And he just barely made his next flight. But yeah, um, but yeah so a lot of very interesting stuff in there. And, uh, mm. and the guy's very passionate. I mean, he, again, he worked without a salary for six months just, mm. to, you know, just to volunteer. It was very cool. Yeah, I, um, I remember probably, probably over a decade ago now, I read a book by a guy called Max Demont. Um, which mm-hmm. was called Jews, God, and History. And as yeah, someone hey. who's who's not from Israel, I, I don't have any Israeli background, but just reading the the story from from the creation myths um, on through uh, sort of the the recorded biblical history, but then into more modern type things, where you read about some of the the incredible survivals that Israel has had along the way, where they've 
you know, things that, it's like Spartan type stories, but that we just don't get because it's, um, for whatever reason, uh, Jewish history hasn't proliferated, well, with the exception of the Bible, hasn't proliferated right. as, um, as aggressively as Greek history. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I would say, yeah, I mean, in terms of Greek history, you mean like... Uh, like our, our knowledge of the Greeks or, or their cultural influence or what have you? Yeah, I mean, you look, if, if you were to, to go through sort of the, the battles that the Greeks, the Persians, that, that whole sort of Mediterranean area engaged in, um, yeah. we have a huge body of knowledge or at least a huge record and, and it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of shorthand in our culture that actually references um, that sort of thing. Um, whereas I think your post your post biblical history um, of Israel is is limited, um, yeah. partic- f- sort of from from um, that sort of the four hundred year gap. Well, at the end of of the what Christians call the Old Testament, from there on, mm-hmm. we just we don't know anything really in the West. Um, and so that, yeah. that book was really, really uh, interesting, and, and it helped me to get some perspective on modern events as well. Yeah, um, there's a lot. It's, it, no, it's interesting you should say that because, you know, the, like, the information's all there, but it's not well known. Mm. That's for sure. Um, no, that is a very good point. And I have his book. I haven't read it yet, but mm. I, I do have it, and I've heard it was great. Yeah, I bought it on but, Audible uh, recently to, to redo it. So. Nice. Um, Very nice. Figured it would give yeah, us some common ground stuff. when we chat. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, what's your favorite food, Alex? Steak. Good answer. No hesitation. <laughs> yeah. I would say, and actually, I want to be even more specific. Like steak with a lot of fat on it, mm-hmm. and it, it's cooked, I would say, uh, rare, actually. Mm. A lot of fat, cooked rare, and uh, starting at one kilo, is a, that's sure. a good place to start. I've, I feel like half a kilo is, uh, you're just not trying. All right. So uh, I need to try and track down some, uh, some good Australian beef while you're in, in town. It's, kangaroo uh, will not do, unfortunately. <laughs> kangaroo does not taste the same. It's, um, it's my understanding. Yeah. Did, did we not force feed you some kangaroo last time you were here? You, you tried to, but I, I, uh, I declined because it's not kosher. Oh, of course. Because um, it's wild. Yeah. And, and yeah otherwise i would have i would have done that because um, it it did seem like that's one of those things that you just got to be able to talk about it's um yeah, yeah 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 and then i tried to feed you pizza with cheese and uh and and ham pepperoni or something i think i might have yeah. even gotten your ham um like a winner um <laughs> <laughs> but vegemite you had yeah vegemite i did have yeah 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 it the, was uh Sally and uh, and Anthony up at Superior Strength Systems um, made sure you got your Vegemite fix. I remember that it was uh, it was an experience. I have not had it since then. I, I will have to <laughs> re up my experience in, uh, yeah. next time I'm in Oz. In, in Oz. Yeah, yeah, you, you deadpanned that really well. Your uh, your distaste was not evident. Well, you know, actually, uh, people told me you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it, and. Uh, I must be one of the few. It's like, you know, you flipped a coin and it actually landed on the edge. You know, it didn't like go either, either direction or the other. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't hate it. But I also, I was like, I wouldn't 
eat it on purpose like regularly <laughs> but you know like if someone offered it yeah it wasn't like it wasn't the worst thing ever for sure yeah yeah, yeah. and what are your hobbies at the moment alex so what what do you do for fun well i love learning foreign languages and um right now i am for a while i've been mostly engaged in italian my italian has come on uh quite well mm-hmm. uh speak hebrew fluently Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm thinking about going back and taking on Arabic. I did it a, yep. a while back, but I kind of quit because I didn't really have a goal. Sure. Um, but there's a there here in Omaha. There is a grocery store, Middle Eastern grocery store, that's run by Arab Israelis mm. uh, from Nazareth. Right. And uh, so I stop in there periodically to get some supplies, you know, to like mm-hmm. help them out. And I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try to recruit them to help me uh, speak Arabic because sure. uh, that would be. They actually, their Hebrew is pretty good too, and like mm. in varying degrees. Like the, uh, I talked to the mother of the owner once. Her mm. English was like, was not quite good. So I asked <laughs> in Hebrew, I was like, do you speak Hebrew by chance? And she was like, she lit up. She's like, yeah, absolutely. And so we're able to, to chat in Hebrew. Um, her Arabic, I think, is definitely still better. Like, her, mm. But her Hebrew was, was creditable. Mm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I really like foreign language learning. I, traveling, I try to, you know, do that as much as I can, but I try to parlay it into, um, into work so that I can kind of have an excuse for it. Sure. Uh, play bass guitar. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of that. And um, those, I would say, are the big ones for mm. sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, language learning, bass guitar. It's, uh, circling back to, to that lady, it must be tough only really having like four or five people to talk to. Uh, on a regular basis, I would imagine. Like, it's, it, but yeah, no, yeah. But you know something? Actually, it, uh, I've noticed that there are certain groups of people that have a tendency to find each other when they're sure. abroad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like for example, uh, Polish people. I am told mm. uh, when they would, when there would be, particularly like in the U.S., you would see it. There'd be like Polish neighborhoods, you know, sure. or, or Italian or Irish, right? Yeah. On the other hand, like Germans and Hungarians just tend to spread out. Like they didn't try mm. to like hang out with other Germans or other Hungarians. Like their goal was to kind of like they like you wouldn't find like a little Hungarian native. Maybe you would, but mm. but generally speaking, like you know they would go out and you know they would uh, they didn't necessarily all live in in one area. Yeah, um, they would spread rather than clump. Yeah, exactly. And I, so I think uh, I think Arabs are very much the same way. So and there's there's a decent sized uh, Arab community in here in Omaha. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that's more than four or five, but nevertheless, and, and, you know, she works with English speaking public, presumably because this mm. store is, you know, open to, uh, to basically anybody. Yeah. But, uh, but I had only seen her there just that one time. So I don't know how much she does or if she does stuff mostly in the back, yep. but I'm sure it's tough no yeah, matter yeah. what. And, and you, on, on the language learning note, uh, you made a post mm-hmm. around New Year's on, on Facebook. Um, kind yeah. of explaining why you discourage people from from using things like Duolingo. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I found it really yeah. interesting. As someone who's who's uh, who's false started on languages a number of times, um, mm. it was really really novel for me. Yeah. So um, I'll I'll say this as a clarification: you can use Duolingo, uh, Duolingo, pardon me, but it is not going to take you the distance. Basically, mm. you know. What any app is most likely to do, with very few exceptions, uh, most apps will get you started. And in the beginning, yeah. anything you do is going to help. Like, sure. for example, if you want to get strong with, with kettlebells, um, you know, you do, like, you learn how to do uh, some swings. You do some mm-hmm. get-ups. 
and uh, you know you're going to do pretty well. Mm. But the but eventually, I know there are going to be certain people going to hate me for saying this. <laughs> like it's just not enough. Like you have to do more than swings and getups. Like it's it will get you started off, but eventually you're going to you're going to you're going to come up to a point where you need to do some other things to complement what you've what you've built up with the swings and getups. So I'm in the process of pulling up the um, the post right now. Mm. My computer is running rather slowly, but but the thing with the apps is that I think it creates a false sense of, um, of contact with the language. Yeah, like yeah. you can learn some vocabulary, you can learn isolated phrases. Mm. Then you'll you'll come face to face with a uh, with a, somebody who speaks the language, and you'll be able to you'll be okay with the these phrases. And actually, I think learning phrases is very important early mm. on, uh, not mm-hmm. just uh, single words, but but whole phrases because it gives you. A lot of information about the grammar that, like, subconsciously just sticks in your memory. Sure. Um, but uh, but it, it's only going to take you to, like, a very limited level of, of familiarity. So um, what is really helpful is, well, number one, you have to use the language. Sure. It's, it's so common for people to uh, who want to learn a language to do really not much of anything to actually use it. So, like, they'll mm. study it, for example. So I've got the post pulled up right here. Uh, they'll study the language, like the grammar and what have mm-hmm. you, and then they'll find that again, they, they they can't. Like when it comes down to actually using it, they have no they ha- they have no ability to use it. It kind of reminds me of a commercial I saw a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. There was a guy, I think it was a Pepsi commercial. Um, he got like a 64 ounce Pepsi or something mm-hmm. like that, and uh, and he was at a um, he was at an amusement park. Mm. And the line went really quick, and he was kind of caught off guard. And all of a sudden, like it's your turn, you gotta you gotta jump up there and you know get on the ride. So, sure. and for people, who, I'll try to describe it. So for the people who are not watching, you'll be able to you'll be able to get it. But yeah, he's basically as right. I'm gonna mime it exactly. So <laughs> yeah. as he's going, he's like, you know, like there's a curve, and he's like doing this so that it's like no matter what, the cup is going to be like upright relative to gravity, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like going all around like that, right? And then he gets off the ride. He hasn't spilled a drop. And this gorgeous woman comes over. She's like, excuse me, what time is it? Looks at his watch, spills it all over himself. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it's so it's such an apt description of, of so many things that happens in life. But that's so often what happens with a lot of language learners that, that they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, like I, you know, I crushed it in French and university, you know, like I got like A's, one of the top people in class. But then they go to, you know, Paris and they can barely order any mm. food or that you know they can't ask for directions because they've never actually had to use the language and um, that more than anything will help you like if you only if you only learn that one thing mm. i mean there, there's more details to it but the but the apps are are they're good to get you kicked off but they're not going to take you anything further mm. than like the first few steps and it's a long journey yeah um they're ve- yeah, very very say- supplementary I, yeah, absolutely. I yeah. didn't even think actually, if, I, if I'm being honest, I don't even think they're very good for vocabulary. They mm. can be used for vocabulary, but if you write it down on like with ink on paper, mm. and you carry these things around with you. Like I think you'll learn a lot faster, and it'll it'll work a lot better. Writing does stimulate different things in your brain to to tapping and and that sort of thing. So it's, um, there's there's a decent argument that schools should be going towards paper rather than away from it. Um, I agree with it. I mean, I don't know a lot about the argument, but I can say, for for example, when I was learning Hebrew, and I didn't realize even that I was doing this, like, I wrote a lot because I kind of felt like that was what I was supposed to do. 
Mm. I didn't realize how helpful it was to me because it, I think that was really a big part because I didn't sure. do almost any speaking, meaning mm. I, I had almost nobody to speak with. Yeah. Um, this was before that that Arab grocery store opened up and yeah. there was Arab Israelis, you know, right? Sure. Um, but uh, but I did a lot of other things, a lot of other things, and one of them was writing. And I found with Italian, and I'm knowing, I know this now in retrospect, but with Italian, that's definitely the case because um, mm. when I my my Italian tutor Angela was like, uh, you know, for how well you speak, you write really poorly. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I gotta I gotta do this more often. Sure. And um, it's made a huge difference because writing right. is thinking slowed down. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, it yeah, the, it makes a tremendous difference in in learning a language. It's very underrated. Writing yeah, cool. by hand, I would say in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you. So next question uh, is: uh, Why do you choose to train the way you train? So I mean, you're 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 in transition. You're doing the amazing twelve stuff at the moment. Um, yeah. Let Let me change the question. So what? You you were doing the kettlebell stuff along the way. What was mm-hmm. it that bumped you heavily into body weight for a while there? Okay, that's a really good question. Um, you know what? Actually, I'll I want to throw one thing in there that mm. I think is because uh, we talked about it last time we spoke, and I, I didn't bring it up this time. But it's sure. a great story, by the way, to give to give people an idea on uh, on the way things were. Well, I didn't mention this early in the in the interview, but I, my gym class story about the bench oh, press. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, uh, so okay. It was it was junior year. This was like 2003, I think, and we had uh, weight training in in gym class, mm. and uh, I was partnered up with a guy. I think he was on the football team, American football, not like soccer. Yeah. Uh, and American football players obviously are known for being like really big, like muscular, whatever. Mm. And this guy was super athletic too, like very fast, you know, explosive. Mm. He didn't have any problem with anything. In fact, like I, we were probably the worst people to pair up together because, <laughs> like, I had to spot him on the bench, and it's like, man, if he couldn't bench it, like he was SOL because there was nothing I was going to be able to do to keep whatever amount of weight was on the bar, mm. you know, a- from a- SOL. I can't repeat it in here, but it's uh, S word out of luck. Ah, <laughs> uh, gotcha. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, basically. You know, he would, uh, he must have gotten a great workout with me because he was definitely, <laughs> it was all him <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Like he was, he, I was definitely not much of, much of a help in terms of spotting. <laughs> um, and then of course having to, you know, unrack all the weights to get ready for my lifts was, there was a little extra cardio in there because right, he had to go put them back. Uh, mm-hmm. So one day we were bench pressing and uh, for as bad as a, of a spotter as I was, it was because I was just incapable. Like he was just inattentive and that was sure. a real that was a bad part for him so we're benching i don't remember how much it was but it was not a lot and um so i unracked it pulled it down stuck to my chest it was like somebody you know must have it was like somebody put their hand down like on the yeah. wall like it wouldn't yeah. move. so i had to roll it down over to my hips and then i mm. put you know put it down on the floor and then the gym teacher's like aaron like yelled at the top of his lungs aaron being the name of my of my uh spotter quote unquote mm-hmm. yeah, um yeah. partner is probably the better the better word because he mm. was not spotting and he's like you're supposed to be watching him and you know, what are you doing and he, like and mr chavez our coach is like was a terrifying man he probably still is terrifying i don't know why i'm saying was um very nice guy he was i never had a problem with him but i'm saying like when he was mad like you didn't mm. you didn't want to be around right 
So I mean, this is a guy who could bench like 160 kilos for reps, you sure. know, like strong dude. Mm. And uh, Aaron's face turned like beet red, and he mumbled something under his breath uh, about the coach. You know, he wasn't really mad at me, sure. but I was so humiliated because I was like, everybody saw the small amount of weight he had. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure he picked it up with one hand, put it back on the rack. You know, um, so I, I, uh, yeah, I was always kind of like put off by the by the gym stuff because I could just never do it mm. and uh, body weight I wouldn't say I was I was ever particularly like a natural at but I did do gymnastics when I was a kid and I sure. liked it and uh, and I do think that it helped me to some degree in terms of like m- you know mobility and movement later in life like I think mm. a lot of it stuck with me sure. and uh, when I first got interested in it I, I always kind of thought of body weight as being kind of like a like anybody thinks about it is like ancillary to weight training. Sure. And, um, and I definitely found that was not the case because, um, I, when my friend drew showed me the naked warrior, mm. he, he showed me a, a picture of the pistol squat and I was like, yep. I didn't even think that was possible. Like, sure. I, I mean, I had done something similar. It was like kind of half, like half pistol squats, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but I kind of thought that was about it. And after that, you know, you just you don't go further. Sure. And I, I did manage to get one on my first try. It was not mm. pretty, but I managed one. And I thought, wow, that's really amazing. That was hard. And I mm. was just I was only moving my body weight. Sure. And uh, so I was and then the one arm push up thing, I always like feasted on a face full of dirt because I could just never. Yeah. You know, it, it didn't come very naturally. Um, but I was very interested in it. And I, I also I thought, you know, because Bruce Lee was really big into body weight training as well, mm. like. And he was reported to be able to do over the course of a single training session, like 51 arm chin-ups, I mm-hmm. think something yeah. just obscene. Mm. Uh, you know, he would do his two finger one arm pushups with his thumb mm. and his index finger. And, uh, when you see somebody do something like that, like, you know, they're strong, mm. like, and in fact, I think you can internalize it in a way that you can't quite internalize it when you see somebody lifting a huge amount of weight. Like if you see Andy Bolton deadlift a thousand pounds, mm. right? or however many kilos that is, like, you know, 450 kilos or something like that, you, you really don't have any frame of reference for it. Sure. Because, like, you, like it just seems, I mean, and the guy is, like, a tremendous dude, right? Mm. But if you see somebody who's more your size doing some amazing feats of strength, just moving their body, through mm. the, like, you have to deal with gravity every single day. You yeah. have two arms, two legs, you know, a trunk and a head. Like, like that's something that, that you can you can identify a little bit more with and you see that and you're like, that's humanly possible. Like I I just, it never would have struck me that that, that could even be done. And it really amazed me. And I, and I, you know, I remember periodically I would go through fits and starts of trying to learn the one arm push up, Mm. but there was always, there was always something missing because I would get about halfway and then I would just crash. And the half, the halfway that I did manage wasn't very good. So, Mm. uh, it wasn't until I bought, and I still remember the month actually, it was like June of 2011, Mm. I finally broke down and bought the Naked Warrior DVD. And sure. I don't know why exactly, but I, I I remember I watched maybe the first 10 minutes of it. Mm. And Pavel mentioned one thing in there that he did not mention in the book. Mm. It was the hollow position. Sure. And he described briefly how to do it. He didn't demonstrate like hollow hold. But mm. he was, said basically you want to like shorten the distance between your sternum and your belly button. You know, mm. like and, and I was like – and like a light bulb went off in my head. And I paused the DVD went to the middle of my bedroom, knocked out my first one-arm push-up. Mm. And, uh, and at this time, you know, I, I, I didn't have a whole lot of other, like, real strength feats to my name. Like, I couldn't, half, I couldn't one-arm press half my body weight. 
at sure. this time. I had only been certified as a kettlebell instructor for maybe like seven or eight months or something like that. So, I mean, I, I, I definitely had some physical training under my mm. belt. Yeah. But but that was like the key. And mm. all of a sudden I understood that the um, the missing – that basically this is the case for a lot of people, that there's some missing link mm. that they don't know about within their own body that's mm. going to help accelerate the process. And for me, it, the hollow position was the first one. There were other things that I, I came to – uh, to realizations about later on down the line, but that was the one that really kicked things off. And I remember um, being like so excited. I would just show anybody who would watch, you know, like that was that was my. And this is actually at a time too when there were not that many people in our community doing one arm pushups. Mm. Uh, I think you know they thought like they thought it was like they thought the naked warrior was cool, but it was kind of like one of those things where it's like you can either do it or you can't. Like there was something that was missing in terms of their ability to do them. Other than pistols. I think pistols and pull ups were more common. Mm. But the things like arm push ups where it takes like a next level knowledge really to do. Because with pistols, if you have the the requisite mobility and stability, mm. um I think they're they're relatively easy to conquer. I mean, it takes some. You, there still requires some progressions, and it takes some preparation, but it can be done. Um, pull-ups, you know, kind of the same thing. Pull-ups is much more strength-oriented. I don't think mobility and stability comes into play as much. But one-arm push-ups, it's like pretty equally um, stability and strength, because mm. if you're wobbling all over the place, you're going to torpedo your efforts. Sure. Um, so, yeah. In any case. Um, that was what really kicked it off for me. And that, from there on out, I was obsessed. Like mm. rather than going, you know, rather than being something that I kind of did in addition to, body, to kettlebells from time to time, I was like, I was a bodyweight fanatic. And I, like, I just couldn't have learned enough. Like I would, I would uh, absorb, I would, you know, buy and like study as many different things as I could to really try to internalize it as much as I possibly could. Yeah. And, uh, and then I, you know, I started to help um, some of my other students. I had a lady uh, and I'm sure we'll include a link at the end of the show, but I refer to her mm. as a Charlotte. She mm. was 50 years old, uh, an executive in charge of like four or maybe more TV stations throughout the U.S. I Meaning it was all on her shoulders. You know, mm. like she was like very high powered executive, super high stress job. And, uh, and she had done a lot of fitness stuff. She'd had a lot of other personal trainers, but she had never really worked on strength. So I had a connection to her through uh, a friend of mine who worked with her, and and I trained I trained this gal, mm. and she and I said, will you will you try to you know talk with Charlotte, see what she has to say? She's like, yeah, for sure. So she ended up hiring me. I'm skipping ahead a few steps. Yeah. One of her goals was that she was 50 years old. In her entire life, she'd never done a chin up, mm. not even as a little girl, you know, not during high school, never. So after spending a, a decent amount of time building up her general strength, we started working on pull-up progressions. Mm. I only got a chance to train her about twice a week, and I mean, usually like around an hour. Sometimes, you know, 45 minutes or only half an hour because if she had a, something that was really important, she couldn't be like, "Oh, okay, I gotta go," you know, get yep. my sweat on. I'll, I'll see you guys later. Like she's the boss, right? Um, but within two months, she nailed her first chin-up of her life at age 50. Yeah, and. Nice. That was when I started to realize, you know, I've got uh, something that people really need to know because there's no reason that she couldn't have done this at any point in her life. You know, she's very strong because she put in the effort. Anybody can put in the effort. They just need to be given the path. 
and that's uh, you know what a lot of times is missing in like the in the, the bodybuilding magazines. They're not uh, they're not like textbooks, you know. They're not designed to take you from point A to point Z. Um, they're like snapshots in uh, you know along the way for a very particular group of people, the people who are really obsessed with fitness. But for the people who want to who for whom fitness uh, their life has to their I'm sorry their fitness has to revolve around their life rather mm. than their life revolving around their fitness. Calisthenics is is uh, is crucial, I mm. would say, because you you are going to deal with gravity every day, all day, um, whether you're awake or you're asleep, and how well you can move yourself through free space and move your body against gravity is a, a really timeless test of your of your general strength, fitness, resilience, and so mm. on. And um, so for me personally, it was a sense of accomplishment that I was getting by learning how to uh, internalize the principles that I was taught but didn't necessarily always quite understand. Mm. It was like a way of, of really making it, uh, uh, making an imprint, uh, not just in, you know, uh, uh, That, I believe, is a scooter. It's uh, rather loud, and I can't figure out how to mute my microphone at the moment. It's all good. No, it's not a problem. I was just really... I was I didn't know if it was a scooter or a motorcycle or if uh, you know your your student was back to destroying the gym <laughs> yeah no different student now um, oh, okay. but he's he's much more uh, much more respectful of my stuff not like that Good. Nick that Nick character no. that character yeah um, but yeah basically um, you know a lot of the people that I talk to a lot of people that I train they don't want to spend all day in a gym Mm. Uh, more power to you if you want to, because actually I think gyms are, are a really fantastic resource. But they mm. don't. A lot of people, because they need to fit in their fit their fitness uh, into their life and not mm. try to fit their life around their fitness. Sure. They need to have some method that's going to allow them to build real world strength that they can do uh, in a way that that is going to be appropriate for them. And uh, whether that's you know beginner, intermediate, advanced. Like there's got to be something that they can, that can not only be accessible, but that can actually be, um, be made easier, harder, uh, and more productive. And so I've learned a lot of the stuff along the way of what to do to make your body weight training more successful. And I found that my students have really enjoyed it because they could see, you know, when, when you do, let's say you go from five pull-ups to 10 mm -hmm. and I only see you once or twice a week, they yep. can see that the process is working. Um, you know, when somebody can do a pistol squat for the first time mm. or, uh, like one of my uh, online students in Germany a number of years ago, Mark, he, uh, he's like six foot two. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what that is in meters with like almost two meters tall. Uh, it'd be uh, about 187, 188 mm -hmm. centimeters. Yeah. Mm. Um, he couldn't do, I mean, he's got, you know, his proportions are, are not, like what you expect from like a bodyweight type of person or a gymnast. So they're notoriously mm. short, right? Sure. He's a tall guy, but he, uh, but following my, following the stuff that I taught him, he was able to do his first pistol squats unassisted, uh, and first one arm pushups. And, uh, and it's just a process, you know, it doesn't take a particular body type. It doesn't take a particular age or particular experience level. Uh, it just takes a willingness to work and a willingness to follow the process. And that's what I liked about it is that, um, you know, with modifications for each individual so that it's customized to what they need, just about anybody can get really strong with body weight and it will carry over into their, 
kettlebell training and their barbell training and, and much, much more. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the reasons that I like bodyweight training is that I think that um, when you get good at bodyweight training, that your, your gaps get filled. So it's yeah. because there's so many different angles that come into play when you do a variety of bodyweight movements. Um, like you, it just gives the body a platform that it can, can uh, do good things from. Yeah. Um, whereas a lot of other movements, I mean, you, you'll never get, you'll never move as much weight as what you will powerlifting, but it's incredibly linear. For sure. Like you, mm-hmm. you are, the guys who are really good are playing with one percenters on top of one percenters on top of one percenters to make the bar move in a straight line, essentially. Yeah. Um, whereas body weight, um, even when you get marginally good at it, you're dealing with all sorts of different um, forces on your body, different rotations. And like you're saying, it's stuff that you carry with you day to day. When you start to do that, you you can connect to objects more easily because your body makes sense to you. Gymnasts are incredible um, because in spite of often carrying horrendous issues, like horrendous injuries from spending hours a day doing high, high intensity work, they are still the guys that years later are are special humans. Um, Yeah. And you know, you know, I think, uh, a lot of people also have a hard time really being able to connect with what gymnasts do. Mm. Um, but what one thing you can take away from their abilities is mm. that that high level of ability with the body weight really does translate into other things. Like, um, so I'll, we'll talk kind of toward the high end and then I'll also bring, bring some ideas on, on even more basic, more accessible body weight exercises and the, mm. the effects it can have. Um, Charles Poliquin, the late, mm. great Charles Poliquin, uh, a number of years ago, I was training two different gymnasts who'd never touched a weight in their life. I mean, maybe mm. for like, like ancillary work. I don't really know, you know, but it was they weren't they weren't hitting the power lifts, you sure. know, in other words. And within three weeks, and these guys weighed, I don't know, probably a max. I, I don't know for sure, but probably a max of maybe I don't know, sixty-five kilos, something like mm. that. They both of them could bench one hundred and fifty-nine kilos mm. within three weeks of learning the bench press. And, and again, keep in mind, gymnasts tend to have pretty long arms. It's really helpful for pulling, mm. uh, upper and lower body, meaning with a deadlift, obviously it's helpful, but for upper body stuff, it's a, a, a huge help for a bench press. It's no help at all mm. if you have long arms. So think about that. I mean, and don't think about, well, yeah, okay. They worked out four hours a day. So of course something's going to think about the, the principles that they'd internalize to be able to do mm. that full body tension. Uh, the the stabilization of the scapulae, their straight arm strength, um, their ability to connect every muscle in their body to work toward a single movement. Mm. All of that has a huge carryover into weight training. In fact, Jack Reap, who is the who is the U.S. Armed Forces powerlifting champ, <clears throat> I think mm. he had like a 500 pound bench press. I don't know what it's at now, but I'm sure it's pretty good. He pointed out that you can often make a barbell exercise easier by making a bodyweight exercise harder. Mm. So, which, you know, it makes sense. But but he discovered, I mean, because he's quoted saying that in The Naked Warrior. That's a mm. book that came out like about 18 years ago. Um, so the top powerlifters and Olympic lifters and, you know, bodybuilders, they've all known 
this stuff for a very long time. And it used to be much more common. Like there was a guy, um, Bert Aserati from Britain, Mm. who in 1940, this guy weighed about 240 pounds, which is maybe what, 120 kilos, something like that? Uh, Be about 110. 110 kilos, okay. He could do three one-arm chin-ups on each hand. Mm. He could do uh, the iron cross, and he could do one-arm handstands. And in fact, I think with the one-arm handstands, he could even lean back into a bridge and kick up into a one-arm handstand. Uh. So they don't make people that strong anymore. He started <laughs> off, and he wasn't always that big either. He he started off as much smaller, but he got started off in hand balancing and uh, body weight training when he was younger. Uh. And uh, and later it paid off big time when he got into uh, wrestling and when he uh. got into uh, lifting weights. Yeah. And uh, and he and he maintained those skills too. like how well I mean, if you think about everyone harps on the importance of the basics, we, yeah. we talk about swings and get ups. It's like the uh-huh. foundation of kettlebell training. Yeah. Um, the big three for powerlifting. Uh-huh. So we all understand that the basics are important. So uh-huh. how, what can be more basic than than defeating gravity? You know, like the one thing, the one force that you have you is inescapable. Like the better you can conquer your own body weight through free space against gravity, like how uh, it can't get any more basic than that. So how much better do you think your strength is going to be with a bar or with a kettlebell when you can do that? Mm. Yeah, it is, uh, it's something that people don't think much about, but it is hugely important. And you know, that's just one example. There are plenty of others. Um, the guy, the first guy to bench press 700 pounds, which is uh, uh, three. What well, no? Yeah, close to 300 kilos, something thereabouts. Uh, I'll let you do the math. Be 315, I'd say. 315, for 715 yeah, kilos. Ted Arcidi was his name. Maybe it's Arcidi. I think it's an Italian name. I'm not sure. But um, but before he picked up weightlifting, he did loads of calisthenics. Mm. Um, and he, in an interview, even said that he believes that the all the push-ups and dips and pull-ups and stuff like that that he did really strengthened his tendons mm. and prepared him for the later stuff, because he did it for years, right? Yep. So we're not talking like he did a summer of, you know, some calisthenics and all of a sudden he's like, well, I'm ready to bench, you know, 700 pounds. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but he credits the, the tendon and ligament strength that he built up from doing foundational calisthenics exercises mm. um, with, with his later success. Uh, mm. uh, Fred Hatfield, first guy mm-hmm. to squat 1,000 pounds in competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and now with a monolift machine, you know, where you've got things underneath you that you pull out, like he had to walk it back. Mm. Um, he was a gymnast when he was mm. younger. And in fact, yeah, there's yeah. a picture of him doing an iron cross uh, when he was young. Mm. Mark Rifkin from uh, Strong First. I mean, mm. he's competed at a high level in like four different sports. Mm. Um, he, again, it was a, including powerlifting. Mm. And he was a gymnast when he was younger. Um, the, uh, Dan John has mentioned also that one of the reasons he thinks why so many wrestlers, like high school wrestlers, go on mm to bench 400 pounds or roughly, you know, 200 kilos thereabouts mm. is because they do so many push-ups in practice. Mm. And yeah. not only does it grease that groove, but it, it strengthens the tendons and ligaments. Um, it, uh, it prepares the body for that kind of a pressing motion. Mm. And it can be done safely because you can use proper scapular rhythm when you're doing yep. it. So yep. later on, if you do want to bench press big weight, but you're not really very good at push-ups, like you, you're fighting an uphill battle. Sure. And, uh, and again, again, quoting Mark Griffin, the the bar always wins. Mm. So if you want to get further in your fight, it it seems to be 
just time and experience and the you know the the testimonies of of people who've been there have done that and have gotten huge results from it um the better you are at calisthenics movements the, the better you're setting yourself up for success mm. yeah i was talking to someone this morning actually um about the very poorly advertised friday night workshops that you're going to be mm. running while you're here um saying how i was excited for like just the implications of the straight arm work on people's scapular health. Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, you know Ido Portal is a very famous mm. Israeli movement expert, um, and he was the movement coach for Conor McGregor mm. as well. Um, you know, a guy who's worked with a lot of very high level athletes, um, and a guy who's accomplished a great deal himself. <clears throat> mm. He has said, "This is one of the few things, like I would say, a few strength epiphanies that I've had in my mm. life." He said. Straight arm strength is upper body strength and that the stronger you are in the muscles surrounding your scapulae, mm. your shoulder blades, the stronger you are overall. Because mm. really, I mean, if you think about it, like every upper body movement that you do, the, the movement of the scapulae is what's going to help determine whether or not you're successful. Mm. And if they don't move well or they're, they're kind of stuck, you know, um, you're, you're very limited. Mm. And um, the... And we talked about the gymnasts, and this this actually segues into it perfectly because mm. they do a lot of straight arm work, whether it's front lever, back lever, L sit, mm. handstands, uh, and then of course the really crazy stuff like the uh, Maltese and Iron Cross and the planche mm. and things like that. Sure. And they do a lot of bent arm work too, so lots of mm. dips, handstand push-ups, pull-ups, mm. rows, muscle-ups, things like that. But the that straight arm stuff where you just have to hold yourself in place against gravity um really is uh, it's second to none mm. and and i don't remember exactly where I, I heard this before but um i think I can't, I can't remember but there was somebody talking about his his um experience of people with planche push-ups mm. meaning at, at some point when you're doing like the straight arm stuff you want to include a bent arm element to really sure. take it to the next level mm-hmm. and i think he said that people who can do a full planche push-up from his experience meaning like you're holding yourself out in a push-up position. Your your legs are straight. They're not straddled out. Mm. Straight behind you. Um, you can do that. You can probably bench double body weight. Mm. And and this is only with your own body weight, right? Mm. But think about um, the the implications of being able to hold yourself like that. Every muscle firing. Mm. Yeah, for, yeah. For one I, purpose, and that's to keep I, you in that position. And and so for people who couldn't visualize that, it's it's the the feet are off the floor when he when yeah, basically. Uh, yeah, talk about a planche push-up. Yeah. Yeah, uh, basically a push-up with no feet on the ground. And and a regular planche would be the top of a push-up position, like a push-up position plank, but mm. with your feet off the ground. Yeah, and, and that is that is a feat well and truly on its own. Like it's, there'd be a handful of people running around in any given, any given town that are comfortably doing planches. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, no, that's for sure. And we're talking um, big towns too. We're not yeah, talking yeah. about Perth, you know, for example. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm really excited about that. Uh, uh, one of the things, so Alex came out 2014, 2015? 2015. 2015. Yeah. Alex came out to visit us here in Australia. And, uh, and the, the bodyweight workshop that he ran then, I think, was probably um, certainly not out of place with some of the other, other work that I've done, um, some of the other bodyweight courses. And what I really liked about it, um, one of the things that set it apart was that 
Alex had the same progression for all the movements that he taught. So it was, you know, there were six steps to go from, um, you know, Grandma Betty, who just isn't used to moving yet, to, you know, someone who is, who is a living legend on the way to, to hitting some sort of insane goal. This dude, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're the person who's working up around the, pl- the, the planche push-ups, you can still follow the progressions and make successful gains out of it. So it's the accessibility and the applicability of the workshop is, is what I was, I'm excited to see again. And I was stoked mm-hmm. to see the manual looks like you've, uh, you've made some really positive changes there as well, which is exciting. Yeah. The big thing, you know, because I think also people think about when people think about body weight training, they think like, oh, well, what's the big deal? You know, or they think that's way beyond me. Mm. That, that seems to be the general um, the general look, uh, uh, the general consensus about mm. it. It's like people kind of fall into one or the other camp. But um, but everybody also sees the value of body weight training. Uh, I think where a lot of people get lost is like, gosh, how, like, I, how could I ever build up to like a one arm push up or like mm. a one legged squat? Right. Yep. Or something along those lines. And so what what Pierce brought up with the, the progressions is important um, in that. And now each of them is when he talks about them being similar, what he means is that they're following a same uh, a sequence of how you approach it. So it's based on, on certain principles and they're not principles that I came up with. Like I, I really can't say with any confidence that I've invented anything in this workshop, but I, mm. I'll take credit for for arranging it in a way that makes it more accessible for people who are like I was when I was in high school, mm. who they love the idea of getting fit, but you know they maybe their trainer has been a stud his whole life, or has you know maybe she's been like an incredible athlete you know since she was a kid, and they can't really they can't really um, envision or 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 share the experience of just being not physically capable enough because you just don't know what to do. And so the workshop is set up so that like I've had a few people reach out who, you know, have said like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do, you know, like a one legged squat because of X, Y and Z or a pull up Mm. because of this and that. And uh, and they'll still get a lot out of it because Mm. the way we start is we don't start with the progressions. We start with the prerequisites, the Mm. stuff that you need to be able to do before you start working on it. So no matter what. You're going to learn how to turn lunges, for example, or split squats into pistol squats, mm. or how to turn a regular push-up into a one-arm push-up, or how to turn uh, bodyweight rows into pull-ups. Maybe not in the course of one workshop. I mean, I've, we've certainly seen it. Like you talked about um, Sally Priest from mm. Superior Strength Systems. I mean, when she did the workshop, she did one-arm push-ups like for the first time ever, but she did it from what she learned at the workshop. Mm. Um, same thing with handstand push-ups. I think she nailed those, mm. like back bridges. It's possible if you. Sally. Sally's a great example of someone who came in strong, but who achieved yeah. way better physical autonomy from learning how to apply um, logical principles. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It. I mean, she had this. That's a great example of somebody who had a storehouse of strength, mm. uh, but they had they they didn't know how to distribute it, basically. Mm. So yeah. I, I helped to do that. And uh, there were other people who came in who had, uh, it was Tomasz, the Hungarian guy, and yeah, yeah. shoulder issues. He, he runs um, a tambourine mountain conditioning or something like that. He's, uh, he's on the mountain. Oh, yeah, he's, uh, he's got the look, the mountain man look. Yeah, yeah. Uh, movement but, center, uh, tambourine movement center he runs. Just nice. Just as an aside. 
<laughs> that's a good aside. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of people who, who, you know, were able to do, I think, I think Marcus Rosane did his, did a muscle up. We weren't even mm-hmm. teaching muscle ups. Sure. Um, I don't know if it was his first one. I, I feel like it was. I'm not 100% sure. But, but basically, the principles are such that they teach you how to go from wherever you are to where you want to be. Mm. And what I've expanded on in the workshop is uh, by really kind of going deeper into the prerequisites um, to shorten the amount of time that it's going to take you to go from one progression to the next. Sure. So the idea being that it's going to hit on all the different angles that you're going to need to be strong in in, mm. in the prerequisites uh, so that when you start doing the progressions, like you'll be able to uh, bridge that gap much more quickly and really start hitting some pretty amazing feats, whether it's one-legged squats for the first time, one-arm push-ups, handstand push-ups, things like that. Um, It's all laid out in a way that that makes it so that wherever you are right now, you'll be able to figure out what you need to do to where you want to get to. And it's all based on, again, a progression sequence that uh, takes advantage of the natural reflexes of the body, Mm. such as how to generate more tension uh, and to do it in a way that doesn't require a whole lot of thinking, like I'm going to try to fire this muscle or that one, but rather puts you in a position where you can't help but but fire up the necessary muscles and generate yep. more tension. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So on a different topic, the next question. Mm. Uh, if I could give you one superpower, what would you take? Last time I said invisibility, but you kind of like chided me thinking I was going to use it for, well, you know, for I, ill purposes, I, I just I just can't see any way that invisibility is not nefarious. It's a <laughs> it's a valid point. It really is. Um, I would say because I don't want to get you know made fun of yet again. <laughs> I'm. I would say flying. The ability to fly would be pretty cool. Sure, and but secretly invisibility, right? <laughs> Right, fly invisibly. That's what I would like to do. <laughs> All right. Well, but you know, actually, how great would that be? Because you wouldn't even need super strength if you could fly. You're like, okay, I'm going to demonstrate planche push-ups. And then, right, and then it's like all you're doing is you're flying a little more, a little less. And then you're like, I'm going to do one-arm planche push-ups. And people are like, oh, my God, this guy's blowing my mind. And then like, I'm going to do no-arm no planche push-ups. And all you are is just doing like this, right? So, no, I, I do think, actually, I, I comfortably change it to flying <laughs> yep. versus invisibility, which I would not use nefariously anyway, but, you know, whatever. All right. So, episode summary. Um, you talked a little bit about Enter the Kettlebell and the Naked Warrior, which are, are books by Pavel from Dragondor that you can get on Kindle for about $10 these days, and they're still worth the, uh, the cash for sure. Um, you talked about your regular morning routine, um, and, uh, and so that's for you at the moment, five minutes of breathing, uh, listening to a podcast of interest to you at the moment. And the key for you, you talked about was visualization and focusing on your personal mm-hmm. successes. Um, Absolutely. I, I mentioned, uh, the search for greatness in that vein, um, mm-hmm. by Judd Biasiato. Um, you mentioned the amazing 12 that you're doing with the brilliant John Scott Stevens. Um, and that is from the gentleman in Ireland, Paul, uh, and Damien McElroy. Um, mm. and you talked about magnetic marketing from, uh, from Dan Kennedy, which I've got to assume is probably an old book. Is the dude even still alive? He um, is. And actually, you know, 
I almost have to answer no because, well, I mean, I almost would have had to answer no because mm. he, and this is not a secret, so I'm not mm. you know, breaking any secrets. Back in August, he went into hospice care. And right. Hospice is basically like when you have one foot in the grave. Yeah, yeah. Most people don't walk out of hospice. As, as fortune would have it, he mm. looks like he's making a recovery. Right. Um, he had some health issues over the years, I think, and mm. so it wasn't like a huge surprise, but it would be a huge tragedy. I mean, this guy has written... I don't even know how many books he's helped. He's helped people make probably like he has helped his clients make multiple billions of dollars. I, I couldn't mm. even tell you how many. And he, mm. this is a guy who started off like dirt poor, doesn't have a college education, but is one of the greatest minds of business of the, the 20th and 21st centuries for sure. Um, he, yeah, I, I, the guy is like, I, he will forget more about business than any of us can mm. can possibly know. Um, I, I feel like he, he started it, in the seventies or eighties, right? I, I think he did. I think at, at least by the eighties for sure, because mm. he's got to be in his sixties by now. Um, he was in, you know, he himself has run a number of businesses, mm. either as like the CEO or starting mm. it from the bottom and working it up, and mm. just he's done all sorts of different things, and uh, so he really understands it. Like he he gets it. Um, but yeah, and I don't know when he first started publishing things, but I, I would say probably by the 80s uh, at the latest, I would assume. Well, it was, uh, it was either newsletters or direct mail that he was, that he was writing about. So like he, he yeah. well and truly predates the internet. Oh, big time. Yeah, no, he, he's done. He had a, a very popular newsletter. Um, I think he sold it a while back to a, a company uh, that he did business with. Um, but he, yeah, he was big on direct mail. In fact, he is, yeah, probably one of the better direct mail guys. There are others who are like copywriters who might be, you know, even bigger, but, um, but he was famous. Like, for example, he said that he's the highest paid copywriter in the world because of how fast he is. Meaning he can just take Mm. on a lot more work. Very efficient at what he does. He's got. To, if you read one book by him, Magnetic Marketing is really good. But if you want one, if you're like, nah, I don't really care about business, but whatever, I would recommend reading No BS uh, Time Management for Entrepreneurs by Dan sure. Kennedy, because he will teach you ways to use your time like as wisely as possible in a way that you didn't even think was was possible or feasible. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that appeals to everybody, I think. But hmm. yeah, he's he's the man, sure. for sure. Um. Yeah, so I mean, we've got Alex coming out to Australia. Alex will be here in Brisbane on the fifteenth of uh, of February, which is uh, which is just over a month away. Um, mm-hmm. And then, obviously, the straight arm workshop the night before. Um, and then he's also going to be in Newcastle on the twenty second, um, and that'll that's at, at Valkyrie. We'll have a link to those uh, beneath the podcast. Um, but uh, if you flick me an email at, uh, at info at qldkettlebells.com.au, then we'll be able to, to connect you with anything, even if you don't read the bottom portion. Um, and those, those workshops, we've talked about them a little bit already. Um, it, it really is going to be uh, one of the most accessible ways that you'll be introduced to these movements. Um, I'm excited for for it both as a participant and as a coach. Um, I'm looking forward to, to having access to to things that that take care of all my clients, regardless of what stage they're at. So that's 
that's mm-hmm. um yeah I, I've seen it before but I I have no doubt that there's going to be a wealth of knowledge that I'll be be gaining um the second time around four years has hopefully refined things quite a bit yeah by quite a lot mm. so um look if you guys like what we do uh please follow the follow the podcast on iTunes like our Facebook page or Instagram and and get in touch uh, if you don't like what we do, can you flick me an email to help me get better? Um, thank you, Alex. Appreciate having your time. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, and we'll hopefully have another one of these out to you guys in the not too distant future. It'll be great. Thank you.